Well, good morning. Again, it's, this morning has already been a blessing uh, for me for a number of reasons. Uh, if you were here during the instrumental devotional and Shane, as you've been leading, the singing has been uh, profound because everybody's singing out from their hearts and we bless each other and we do that as well as glorify God. And so it lifts my spirits for sure and I hope yours as well. Uh, if you are visiting here this morning, and there are some who I see, some who I see and know, some who I see and don't know, we're very glad that you're here, and uh, we would love to get to know your, you better. Uh, whether you're passing through or whether you live in this area, uh, let us know who you are. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. Grab that. Give us as much or as little information as you'd like. We would love to get to know you and pray with you uh, and, ministry, and minister with you as well. I'm also blessed because I have some special people here today. Uh, okay, I'm going to start from the top of the morning. Did anybody, If you were here for the instrumental devotional, did you see a new face? Yes. Could you see all of the face? No. Most of it's covered in beard. But that is Daniel Ross, and he is David and Shirley Lidbury's grandson, the son of Lyndon and Janelle Ross, if you know them. Uh, from either Gravelberg days or uh, Enderby days in BC. And he's here uh, looking for work as a massage therapist and staying with his grandpa and grandma while he does that. So please get to know him. Uh, He's already been a blessing. He jumped right in with us and said, hey, I'd like to serve on the praise team. Good, you're in. Um, And we had another friend like that, Vicky, this morning who is interested in singing with us. So that's good. I have some friends here, too, from Japan, Richard and Mickey Lee from Japan slash California, but mostly Japan now. And I, I have to point them out because uh, they have been a blessing to us in a very material way, as well as a spiritual encouragement to us. So if you don't know, we, we still manage a house in Japan. So we still have a house there. There's a girl who lives there um, when we first moved back after the disaster, it was, it was gutted. So the first floor was just bare bones, and we put it back together from scratch. Um, I got it back with some teams as far as uh, pre-finished. So we had the walls painted. We didn't have all the f- uh, floorboards in, but we had a floor. Um, since we've been gone, Richard has been in that home remodeling for us and fixing it up which he has done for many, many people in Japan. Uh, he was there with Samaritan's Purse. And Mickey has been a great support and counselor. Some of you supported Michiko when she went over to do Come Before Winter last year. Mickey was a part of that group. So Richard and Mickey, just raise your hands. Get to know them. They're here for a day. And then sitting next to them is a new visitor as well. My wife, Michiko. And my kids are back. Which means two things. One, I'm very happy, and the house is nice and full of noise again. And two, I didn't get much sleep last night because they're jet-lagging really hard. So Eli went down at about 10, and at 1 o'clock I heard thumping on my bed saying, Can I sleep here? Can we go downstairs and play? Because I'm awake now. (laughs) So two of our kids were awake from 1 till 4-ish in the morning. So Michiko's had much less sleep than me. Uh, and then a prayer request. Uh, Ernie and Christy, where are you guys? So my understanding is that your son-in-law, Ray, passed away this weekend. 
Is that right? And this is your daughter? Okay. We would love to pray for you. Um, can we do that? We'll pray for you now. Is that okay? God, as, as Steve just reminded us, somehow there's an intersection of hope and light at the cross uh, where we see your death and sacrifice uh, we're also reminded of the hope the great hope that you give us um, hope for resurrection hope for life again but also hope that we commune with a God who went through the stuff we go through who understands loneliness who understands uh, grief who understands physical pain and separation and loss. And uh, we lift up um, the Amante family right now uh, and with the loss of Ray. And we pray your blessing on them in the days to come. And give us also strength and wisdom to know how we can gather around them um, and support them in this time. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Do you know what this is? It's been here for like a month or more. Have we talked about what it is? It's an ampersand. Yeah, that's good. You know what it is. <laughs> Do you know why it's here? Because this whole sermon series that Kelly has been working on, that I'm participating in, Kevin's participating in, others, the point of all of this has been all of these kind of issues and things that we look at in life that we're trying to navigate. We're doing them with Jesus. It's Jesus and truth. It's Jesus and how we navigate world religions. It's Jesus and what we do in a struggling economy. It's Jesus and today, spirituality. So we're going to talk about spirituality, but we're going to talk about it through the lens of the life of Christ. And I got to do some setup before I get there. And I'm already seeing my computers failing me, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, but we'll dive in and see how far we get. Um, we, we used to sing a song. Let's see if I got this. You might have to move me forward. Okay. Yeah. You know this song? <laughs> All right. I'll start it. If you know it, please sing out so I'm not standing up here singing a, a solo. Oh, Lord, I need a mountain to climb on, just a quiet place to go and know you're there. Oh, Lord, I need to spend some time with you. Jesus spent the night with you in prayer. The greatest friend you'll ever find is on a lonely mountain. The highest high you'll ever reach is when you kneel to pray. The highest high you'll ever reach is when you close your eyes. Oh, Lord, you are my first love, at last I realize. Oh, Lord, you are my first love, at last I realize. I'm going to read a passage from Luke 6. I didn't get it in the, in the pew books, sorry, the chair books, if anybody has that number throw it out, but it's uh, Luke six twelve through 19. 
One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Bring me ahead there, if you will, Lily. He went out, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So we sing this song, O Lord, I need a mountain to go climb on, just a quiet place to go and know you're there. And then we read this passage, Jesus spent the night with God in prayer. So, solitude, quiet, stillness. And I want to ask this question and we'll come back to it at the end. If we are quiet, deeply quiet, in our house in Japan, in the window, we still have, when I was back this summer, I saw this. We have a plastic bottle filled with water and sand and rocks and silt. And the story of that bottle was often our lives are like that shaken up. And so long as it's shaken and stirred up, it's never clear. If you set it down and let it be still for a while, and it takes a while, it'll be clear. That's an easy enough idea. My question is, if you do that in your life, if you take some time to be really still, what do you hear? Uh, I got some time to be still. Uh, Recently, because my house was empty. And it wasn't the voice that I wanted to hear most of the time. Uh, What I heard was, you haven't done enough yet. You're not finished. Hurry up. Some of us here, ah, finally, peace. Some of us here be afraid in the quiet. So my question to you is, if you are still, what is the word or the voice, what is it that you hear? Jesus and spirituality. We'll come back to that in a minute. We've got to talk about spirituality for just a minute. <clears throat> this is Barbara Brown Taylor. She's one of my favorite authors, and she, she has a book called An Altar in the World, and she begins the book with this question. If I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say, I'm spiritual but not religious, then I might not be any wiser about what that means, but I would be richer. So this is us in the world around us. When you hear the term spiritual... What comes to mind? Not in this context, but if you're, if you're at your workplace, if you're visiting somewhere, um, if you see a commercial and it talks about, oh, that was really spiritual. Well, what comes to mind? What does this, the spiritual mean? She goes on to say, I think I know what they mean by religious. It's the spiritual part that's harder to grasp. Maybe the name of a longing for more meaning, more feeling, more connection, 
more life. I think sometimes it looks like this. Right? So back to the stillness thing again. For many in our communities, ourselves included, spirituality, being spiritual means uh, being aware that there's something more, that there's something beyond our utilitarian life, uh, that, the, that the materialists would say consists really of being born, having offspring, and dying. That's it. Most of us have a sense that there's something probably more to life than that. So what is the more? So there's a kind of spirituality that I think is fairly innocuous, it's helpful, and it's generic, and it spreads across many different faiths as well as among people who have no faith. Um, But it's just, um, if you borrowed the Buddhist word, it would be mindfulness, right? It's just an awareness that there's something more and a desire to be still and to pay attention to what's beyond myself. Uh, In Christian spirituality, takes the form of centering prayer, of meditation, of silence, of solitude, of retreats, right? This kind of just spiritual attentiveness. Then there's another kind of spirituality. It's the spirituality that flows through remote control. Oh, there we go. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a zodiac, right? The horoscope. Okay, this spirituality is pervasive in our culture. Right? Every newspaper, it's all over the place. Um, we had a girl uh, in Japan. I don't know what you were doing in 2006. In 2006, I was sitting across the table from a girl named Sachiko, and we were having a discussion about this stuff because she was very into this form of spirituality. Horoscope, fortune-telling, palm reading. Um, in Japan, you can get your fortune told by your blood type, by your birth year, by your day, by the number of strokes in the character that is your name, all of this stuff, right? If you want to go a step further, spirituality can look like this. So this is a a shrine in Sendai. I was just there a month ago. I didn't take this picture, but I was at this shrine with my kids a month ago. It's up on the mountain where there used to be a castle in Japan. In this form of spirituality, I don't know if you can see it, on this side, there's a rack Can you see it? There's a bunch of little wooden placards. You can't see those very well. But what's hanging on those placards are your prayers. So you go, you purchase a placard, you write your prayer, and you hang it on that. And that's there uh, to ask a blessing from the shrine god. So enshrined in there, back in that building, in a cabinet in the building, in a box in the cabinet in the building, there's a god. And if you can see in the middle of the stairs, you go up the stairs and there's some ropes hanging down. There's a bell at the top of that rope. So you go, you shake the bell, shake the rope to ring the bell, clap and bow. That's to get the God's attention. You put some money in the box and then you ask for your blessing. That's a bit different than the spirituality of just kind of attentiveness and awareness, right? So what's different on these, of these three? In the first case, it's just... It's just kind of a humility and awareness that there is more to life than this utilitarian existence. In the second one, in the horoscope, or any kind of fortune-telling, you think, okay, there's powers out there in the universe. I want to read them well so that I can make auspicious decisions, good decisions, and guide my life well, right? In the third one, you're beginning to invoke those powers. Make sense? 
Now I'm asking for something from them. And I believe that if I do something for them, they're kind of, it's on them. They have to respond in a certain way. Fair enough. This was my conversation with this girl, Sachiko. I want to know if the power behind those things is imaginary or real. If it's imaginary, then at best, it's just kind of a fun pastime, right? It's interesting. You put a little money in, you get your, or you get your horoscope. We do the fortune cookies at Chinese restaurants, right? It's kind of interesting. It's fun. Uh, can be expensive. So if it's imaginary, I don't want to spend all my money on that stuff. It can also mislead us, right? We'll start to make poor decisions because we're putting stock in our horoscope. Um, in Japan, um, every calendar that you get in Japan has red and black dates on it. And those are auspicious and inauspicious days. Good days to do stuff, bad days to do People will change their marriage date because of the color of that print on the calendar. Uh, you will change what you name your child because of the number of strokes in his name or her name and what the, the Shinto priest tells you that time. So you start to make big life decisions based on that. If it's imaginary, I don't want to make big life decisions on it because I might make a dumb decision on something that's just a roll of the dice. If it's real, though, now I want to know about the character behind it. Is it powerful or powerless? If it's powerless, kind of we're back to the start. I don't want to mess with it because why would I waste my money on that? or make decisions based on something that doesn't have any real power. If it's powerful, though, what kind of power is it? Is it an impersonal force, like in Star Wars? Or does it have identity and character? It's a person, a god, or a demon. In that case, is it, is it letting me know what kind of character it has? Is it hidden or revealed? Make sense? Follow me so far? There's a lot of setup in this sermon. It's too much, I know, but we kind of got to go through there to get there, right? Finally, I want to know, is that power, let's say it's everything on the right side so far. It's real. It's powerful. It's got a specific identity. It's not just a background radiation in the universe, but it's, it's a god or a spirit of some sort. And it's, it's revealing itself to me. It's saying, this is who I am. What is it revealing to me? Is it malevolent, meaning it's against me, or is it neutral, or is it for me? Is it on my side? Does it have my best intentions in mind? Right? So we had this whole conversation, this Sachiko and I, and it was a difficult conversation because she didn't want to mess with anything on the right side. She just wanted the fun of the horoscope. But she was making some real decisions based on this. So I wanted to push her a little bit and say, why would you choose that when you could choose this. There was a baby born in the first century in Palestine who was real. He had all of the power of the living God. He was a specific person. He revealed himself to us to show us what kind of character he was. And what he revealed to us deeply was love. Why would I choose a roll of the dice, or something that I don't know what's behind it, if I could choose this. And then I love this picture. Can you see what it is? Take a minute. 
Imagine Peter's perspective. You've just slipped under the waves. And there's Jesus above you reaching down to pull you out. So now we ask the question about Jesus and spirituality. We read this passage again. I want to introduce you to another author. His name is Henry Nouwen, great Christian thinker. He said this about that passage. He said, notice the order from solitude to community to ministry in the passage we just read about Jesus. The night is for solitude. Remember in the Jewish kind of cycle, the night was when the day began. So the beginning, the start of the day, the evening, when, everybody else is, when everybody's going to bed, that's when God is beginning his day. The beginning of the day, the night, is for solitude, for time alone with God in Jesus, um, in Jesus' example. The morning is for community, and then the afternoon together is for ministry. I don't know if you can read that or not, but here it is again. In the morning, in the night, pardon me, at the very beginning, Jesus went by himself to pray. He spent the whole night praying to God. Then morning came, and he called his 12 apostles to form the core of his community. And then out of that community, they went together into the larger community to minister. Solitude to community to minister. But here's what Nouwen says. So often in ministry, I've wanted to do it myself. If it didn't work, I went to others and said, please, searching for a community to help me. And if that didn't work, maybe I'd start praying. Steve, this resonates strongly with what you said about hope. You know, hope's not a strategy, right? Because we want a strategy and we want to, we want to do it by our own strength. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to gather a team. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to ask God's blessing. And now one points to Jesus and said, it was absolutely opposite. He started alone in the garden with God. And now one thinks that the word Jesus heard in the silence, in the deep silence, was beloved. And in the deep silence, when Jesus is already wrapped up in turmoil, if you back up in Luke a bit, the, the Pharisees are already after him because he's been healing on the Sabbath. When Jesus is about to gather his apostles, of whom one is the traitor who will betray him. You think community was easy for Jesus? He chose a zealot and a tax collector to be on the same team. This one wants to kill this one. And this one wants to kill Jesus. That was his core community. He picked a hard group. But as he's getting ready to do that, he spends the night alone with God and in the deep silence, now one thinks the word that Jesus heard was beloved. And because of that, then he had the strength to, to forge real community with people. So I'm going to, here's now one's thinking. Maybe. In solitude, God's word for Christ and God's word for us is Beloved. If we soak in that, if our basis is that we are the beloved, then the voices that we hear, it's not enough, it's not good enough, too slow, need to do more, be afraid, those voices go away. We don't listen to either our despair because of our failure or our addiction to success and strivings. We can rest 
in the knowledge that we are beloved, and we have the power then to look at each other and build community. Now one thinks community is this. Forgiveness, which he defines as allowing each other to not be God. That's forgiveness. It's not just when you do me wrong and then I need to forgive you. It's from the very start, I don't expect you to be God. I don't expect you to be perfect the way God is perfect. So I release you from that burden. You can just be you. And in that freedom, in that forgiveness that we extend to each other, what we then can do is celebrate the goodness and the giftedness that God gives us. Forgiveness, which is releasing each other from the burden of being God, celebrating one another's gifts leads to true community. And then out of that community flows fruitfulness, which is born of trust. So I'm going to close by reading this story from now on. Because it ties all of this together. We know that there is something beyond the physical. Most of the world knows that. There are very few hard atheists. Most of the people you will meet every day have a sense that there's something more. There's something deeper. There's something greater. I want to put my trust in the one who is real, who has power, who is a person, not an impersonal force, who has tried again and again to show me who he is and what he has shown me is love. That's Jesus Christ. I want the word that I find in the quiet to be beloved so that I can release you from the burden of being God so that we can build real community. And then I want to trust God like hope, Steve, I want to trust God to bear fruit in my life, in our lives, not because of the great strategies that we have, not because of how hard we work, but because out of this flows God's fruitfulness. There was a little river who said, I can become a big river. It worked hard, but there was a big rock. The river said, I'm going to get around this rock. The little river pushed and pushed And since it had a lot of strength, it got itself around the rock. Soon the river faced a big wall, and the river kept pushing this wall. Eventually, the river made a canyon and carved a way through. The the growing river said, I can do it. I can push through. I am not going to let down for anything. Then there was an enormous forest. The river said, I'll go ahead anyway and just force these trees down. And the river did. The river, now powerful, stood on the edge of an enormous desert with the sun beating down. The river said, I'm going through this desert. But the hot sand soon began to soak up the whole river. And the river said, oh no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get myself through the... Oh no, he said, oh no, I am going to do it. He was more determined. I'm going to get myself through this desert. But the river soon had drained into the sand until it was only a small mud pool. Then the river heard a voice from above. Just surrender. Let let me lift you up. Let me take over. And the river said, here I am. The sun then lifted the river and made the river into a huge cloud. He carried the river right over the desert and and let the cloud rain down and make the field far away fruitful and rich. 
There's a moment in our life when we stand before the desert and we want to do it ourselves, but here is the voice that comes. Let go. Surrender. I will make you fruitful. Yes, trust me. Give yourself to me. What counts in your life and mine is not success, but fruits. So when you look back to Christ and you hear the voice that he heard in the quiet, which was beloved, and then you see him fashioning community and out of that naturally flowing ministry, I think that is spirituality with Jesus. We pray with me. God, we live in a world that is imbued with busyness. Um, With the technologies that we have now, there's no place we can go that the busyness can't follow. It's everywhere. We are a distracted people. We are frenetic people. We are worried about how much we're accomplishing or how much we haven't accomplished. There are so few spaces that we make to be still and quiet. So God, please bless us with some of those spaces. We do need a mountainside to go on. Just a quiet place we can go and be with you, spend the night with you in prayer, and hear your voice telling us that we are your beloved. God, give us the freedom to build true community not out of expectations, not out of deep or some sort of performance-based accountability, but a freedom that comes from celebrating who we are because of you. And out of that, God, please let us be a blessing to the community around us. Bear fruit in us. We want to see Marlboro. We want to see Calgary, the province of Alberta, the nation of Canada, the places that we travel, our workplaces, our homes, our neighborhoods. We want to see them blessed to look a little bit more more like your kingdom each day. But it starts with the spirituality rooted in your son. Help us draw close to him and find our way. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.